0: So we're going to look at a tiny little book, and I've I've told you the name already, so if you've got a paper Bible, I've given you some time to find it, because it's hard to find. It's only two chapters. It's the third back from Matthew, okay? So just go to Matthew, and then go back a few pages, and you'll be able to find it. It's one of the smaller prophetic books, but it's really crucially important in the overall story of the Bible, So we've been talking about the minor prophets and major truths that come from them, and each one is very unique. They don't all preach just straight repentance from sin and get right with God. They preach a dynamic message for the people, I could use this phrase, in the room at that time. And I believe the Holy Spirit has led us through this series of messages to be at this place at this time today and for you to hear this message For centuries, Hebrew prophets had been accusing Israel of breaking the covenant. This was not a false accusation. They had truly broken the covenant of God and disobeyed. They had served other gods. They had committed sins toward one another. They'd been unjust towards their neighbors. There were all sorts of things that happened. They warned, those prophets, they warned that God would send a great empire And as the time drew near there, they actually knew the name of that empire. And it was an empire called Babylon. That empire was going to take out Jerusalem and Israel, destroy the people and destroy the nation. It was going to leave the nation in ruins and they were going to capture and take as slaves God's people and put them into exile. So all this happens Um, in the year 587 BC, hundreds of years before Jesus Christ walked the earth. But it was not the end of the story. The prophets also believed, and many times we see a glimpse of hope, that God is going to restore. He's going to do a great work. In fact, there are words from the prophet that says, despite what you see, he is doing a great work. Can I get an amen? Amen. Despite what we see, if you're thinking with your spiritual mind this morning, I think of Peter. Regardless of the waves that you see, Jesus is still standing. He has not fallen and he's calling you to himself. He's got this. Amen. So even in moments that we don't see all of the benefit of what God is doing, we know that God is on the move. So, the story in Haggai, or really the, if we could summarize it and bring it into just one sort of statement, I put this phrase in the title or the subtitle of the message, and that is, it's time to rebuild. So, 70 years after this exile has happened, Haggai comes on the scene. The Babylonian Empire, for various reasons, and you can do some historical studies had recently collapsed and now was the moment that the world was going to be ruled major parts of the world be ruled by the Persian Empire but the people of God were going to be released from their exile and allowed to go back and return to their homeland you need to understand history is true in the Bible The Bible is a historical book that has many historical details that are undisputed. The land that we call Israel has belonged to the people of Israel since God deemed it so. So they are allowed to return and they have been exiled for all this time. They've been there now and they've had children in the Babylonian Empire. They've been under the watchful eye, the hard hand of a, of a tyrant nation that has been making them do all of these things and live as slaves. But now they've been allowed to return. Some of those who have returned were not even present before to see what the former or the previous nature of the nation would have looked like. So they're they're being allowed to and released. Hey, you can go home to your homeland. And they get there and they see it in shambles. But they don't really know what it used to look like, many of them. But God has sent. And he always has a remnant. Remnant means remainder. He's always had a group of people. Even in the dark ages, he's had a group of people who sought him. Who sought his face on this world. On this earth he's had those who he's spoken to so now under the leadership of a high priest named Joshua not the same Joshua from hundreds of years prior that helped lead the people after Moses but a different man he was a high priest named Joshua and another man with a really funny name please don't name your child this Zerubbabel okay I don't know what they called him for short but I can tell you I would call him Z. Okay, because that's just hard, hard, hard. And a group of exiles, Joshua, Zerubbabel, and a group of exiles, they returned and began to rebuild the city of God and build their lives again. More details on this part of the story can be found in another book called Ezra. Hope skyrockets because all of a sudden in their hearts, they are free. They've been returned. Yes, there's some hard work ahead, but they know that God is on the move and the future seems very bright for most of them. But Haggai presents a different point of view. And so the book that he writes or the the information that we get from him consists of four different sections of a message that's given to the people of Jerusalem and Israel over the course of several months. So I want us to look at Haggai chapter one, chapter one, verse one through six, and give you a little context to help you understand what we're talking about today. Remember, we always say that context, knowing what surrounds the topic, helps you understand the topic. So Haggai chapter one, verse one says this, in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, how many of you know God is accurate and precise, amen? Amen. On the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of somebody, the high priest, Jehoshadak. Okay, we'll say it like that. Verse 2 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Verse 5, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Every message that gets preached, whether from this platform or any other platform, that has to do with the gospel and the truth from God's word, The echo behind every word and every topic and every series is that simple three-word phrase. Consider your ways. The word of God says, consider your ways. Verse 6, you've sown much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. How many of you can say, gosh, that feels like my life. I put my money in a bag that's got holes in it. Okay, moving on. I feel like that sometimes too. But this is the word of the Lord to these people. What he's expressing through, through the prophet Haggai is that your priorities are misguided and you're seeing the effects of those. So he opens by accusing the people of these misplaced priorities. Yes, they've come back to Jerusalem and been set free, but now they're spending all their time and effort and resources rebuilding their own fancy houses while the house of God remains in ruins after it's been destroyed 70 years ago. So they find themselves investing in themselves and renovating their own things or personal dwellings. But meanwhile, what Haggai is saying is, you focused on those things, but you've forgotten about God's house. Haggai's underlying theme or the words, if I could put words in his mouth to add to the impact of what he's saying is this. God has been left out On your priority list. And I feel like that's the natural course of things. How many of you would agree with that? If you examined your life, you know God has done great things. There are moments and seasons of powerful blessing, anointing, and momentum, and all of that. And then somehow, some way, there's probably 700 different ways that it can happen. We slowly start to decline. The fervor's not there. The faith isn't at that level. The hope for the future has dulled or dimmed. It's not as bright as it once was. I want to stop here for a second and talk just a brief moment because I don't want you to get sidetracked in the thought from Haggai about a physical house of God only. There's a recurring theme all the way throughout the Old Testament, and it's very dominant, and that theme is God's house. Why? Ask yourself, why was that important to both God and his people? It's because of his promise. He said, I will dwell with you. There was something significant about that. And I know that in today's day and age, in our modern Christianity, we understand God doesn't live here six days of the week waiting for his guests to show up on Sunday. He lives in the hearts of those who have given their hearts to him. But there's still something significant about the physical house of God even today. So from the days of the tabernacle in the wilderness to the building of Solomon's temple... There was this idea that God was going to dwell with his people and he told his leaders this and he told his people and his prophets this. In modern times after Christ having come and resurrected from the dead and given us salvation, we understand that we as the people of God are his dwelling place. But there still is a certain level of respect and reverence that should be given to the actual church building. This is important for us to talk about and to the campus. In fact, several weeks ago, um, there was a miscommunication and a delay in our lawn care. I had two gentlemen that Sunday drive this driveway through the weeds and the Jumanji jungle out there to get up here to the church door and mention and offer assistance and say, Pastor, hey, I don't know what's going on, but do you need me to come with my mower? I'll help. I'll help. They cared enough, they noticed something was off, and they want why? Just because they wanted a pretty drive? No, because they had something else in mind, that there's a reverence and a respect that's due the campus, the property that God owns. It's His, and it's a representation to the people around us that God does live and dwell with his people. So I'm a, I'm a fan and a firm believer of the fact that the building that we worship in the place that we worship in should look the part and have that reverence and re- respect. In fact, growing up, I remember being told more times than I'm than I could count, don't you run in this church. I don't care if you run in a hospital, but you're not going to run in God's house. Okay, mommy, I'm sorry. We even teach our kids, even these days, we'll have some delay and fellowship at the end of service. And kids get checked out and come down here. And here they go, traipsing across the stage, maybe hitting a mic or a mic cord. And everybody pretty much around here says, hey, 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 get off the stage. Hey, let's, let's settle down. Why? Because we're worried we're going to have to spend $50 on a new mic? No, because we want to train them that God's house is special. It's special. I remember walking from the car to the building on Sunday mornings as a kid and seeing my father bend down and grab straw wrappers and gum wrappers as he walked to the door. That impacted me, that level of notice to detail. And I thought, well, I mean, surely it'll just get washed away. Like, what's the big deal? The attention to detail and care, or the lack of attention to detail and care, Speaks of things deeper beneath the surface. I want you to consider that. You ever been to somebody's house that's an absolute wreck? <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, that arrow just hit me, Pastor. Um, well, listen. It speaks to something deeper beneath the surface. If I went to a dirty house, your house, if it's dirty, and I came to visit unannounced and you didn't have time to prepare, you know what I would think? I would think it was low on your priority list. That's okay. You've got kids or grandkids. You've got bills. You've got jobs. I understand. We had somebody come and visit us unannounced this week. Piles of laundry on the couch. And I just mentioned, happened to mention and say, I'm sorry, baby, that I, I should I not have said there's piles of laundry. Um, there's piles of clean laundry on the couch just waiting to be folded or picked through because, hey, I need a towel. Go get me one from the couch. You know, I'm, am I alone? I'm not alone. And I said to the guests in the house, I said, I'm so sorry. I said, but please tell me my house is not the only house like this. Oh no, my house is like that too. Thank God. We're not alone. But the attention to detail and care or the lack of that speaks to things that are beneath the surface. So Haggai is saying, it's great that you went to Home Depot and bought those new fancy bricks to lay on your sidewalk. But meanwhile, the house of God doesn't have lights on. Meanwhile... No one in this world, if God's going to redeem his people like he said he would and bring them together and it's going to serve a purpose for the world around it, it looks like garbage. So we've got to do something. So in Haggai's perspective, it actually equaled the rebellion of their ancestors. He actually says because you haven't prioritized this and deeper yet prioritized God The land is unresponsive. You're not getting the crops that you've been looking for. You're not getting the... uh, you're, You're stuck with famine. You're stuck with drought. If you're listening with your spiritual ears this morning, I would encourage you to evaluate the next season that you walk into in your life and ask yourself about the priority of God in those areas of your life that are meaningful. Maybe, just maybe... There's a reason why we experience the things we experience, and it's not haphazard. Maybe it's not all the devil. Maybe it is some of our disobedience. Okay, I'm just going to preach this to myself for a minute. Anyway, Haggai quotes, he actually quotes from the list of covenant curses that are found in Deuteronomy. God says, if you follow me with all your heart, I'll bless you. You'll have grapes the size of your head. You're going to have all the things that you need. You're going to have the grain barns be filled. But if you don't, please understand. So I think that's been an error in the church and in the theology of the modern times. Where we've preached about the prosperity that God can bring without the attachment of your obedience. This is hard. It's hard for us to understand this concept. Yes, God desires to bless you and enrich your life in every single way. I believe it with all of my heart. But he also desires your obedience. His love, his grace, salvation is free. But what you do with it after the fact is very important. So Haggai challenges these people and it's followed by a story or a report of the people's response. Look at what it says in Ezra chapter 5. Go to Ezra if you've got a paper Bible or digital. Ezra chapter 5 verse 1 and 2. It says, Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Jerusalem and Judah in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Verse 2, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Jeshua, also known as Joshua, the son of Z- Jozadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. They didn't choose to do it by themselves and say, hey, just the two of us, just the two of... Okay, I won't sing. We can make it if we try. No, they said, we've got to have support. So there was support from the prophets of God who were with them. So Zerubbabel and Joshua were inspired and motivated to start rebuilding the temple of God. In the next section in Haggai, he gives an update and historical accounts and those who study scripture and are scholars actually say that the four different passages that are found in Haggai's two chapters, they happen over a series of four months So essentially, he's writing an update. It's kind of like updating your social media. That's what he was doing. And in this time, he gives this update. He addresses some problems of shattered expectations of the people. Now, I don't know about you, but I've experienced the death of a dream, I've grieved. Over the fact that things are not as they should be. It should have happened by now. We should have done been here. We should have had this already. I should be this way already and not still a work in progress in this area of my life. I've had the death of a dream in my own life. And you have too. You may not articulate it like that. But morale is really low because their shattered expectations, they couldn't quite overcome them. The temple that they had been rebuilding is pretty unimpressive. It doesn't look like it used to look. It doesn't seem like it's really all that big of a deal. It's nothing compared to the glory of the temple that Solomon had built 500 years earlier. So their expectations had been shattered because they weren't where they should be in their minds. They hadn't yet achieved and gotten to that place. And their morale for finishing the project was really low. And so they had this switch just kind of turn to take them in the direction of, well... Let's start on smaller things and let's just build our houses and go to Home Depot and do the things that... And through that small turn, they started to invest in the wrong direction. So Haggai reminds the people of the great promises of a future kingdom that God is going to bring and his temple. He even draws on earlier prophets like Isaiah and Micah about the new Jerusalem and that God wants to use the city of God, the house of God the people of God, to change the whole world and redeem the whole world. So the temple plays a a key role in Haggai's prophecy, and it plays a key role in God's plan for the future. In fact, I believe both physically and spiritually speaking, the church of God, the church of Christ today plays a pivotal role We may have shattered expectations because we have not made the impact yet that we thought we would. Or we feel the pressure of society pushing their values in on our children and grandchildren. We see the entertainment and the things that people value around us. And we think, surely there's no hope but God. But God. So Haggai calls on the people to work in hope despite their disappointment. There's a reward there for you as an individual when you continue to be faithful even in the face of disappointing circumstances. I believe that's what God calls us to do because it's not always gonna be walking through a field of tulips. There are some hard things that we walk through individually collectively, even as a church. And God wants us to keep our eyes like he wanted Peter to keep his eyes on him and not the circumstances around him. So yes, COVID happened. It's still happening. But there's still work to do. This is for you now. This is not Haggai speaking to you. This is your pastor telling you, no, We're not where we thought we would be by now. But there's still work to do. Amen? We've had setbacks. We've had transitions. We've had departures. And we have not arrived at our final destination yet. And because of that, there is still work to do. So regardless of the disappointments that we face, our hope should not be based on our circumstance or else it isn't truly hope. It's easy to be happy when your circumstances are headed in the right direction, but that's not the definition of hope. The definition of real authentic hope is that it springs up in the hearts of God's people who know who he is and know how he behaves. Did you hear me? Hope can be present even in the midst of ...of the camp called Auschwitz... ...because there are people... ...who believe that the God who rescued... ...will rescue again. Amen? There there is hope that wells up... ...in the heart of a person... ...even in the most dire of circumstances... ...whether they're a POW... ...whether they've had a miscarriage... ...whether they're on the edge of a divorce... ...that God can still... ...come through... ...because they know who He is... ...and how He's been... And the truth is, he's good and he never fails. So Haggai is doing a pop quiz with these priests. He wants to know, are they really who they say they are? Do they understand the word and the law? He says, if someone touches a dead body and becomes ritually impure, they're marked by death and then they go and touch some food. Is the food impure as well? The priest, knowing the book and what it says, absolutely, yes, it's impure then Haggai does what Jesus does and he turns it into a parable. He says this is how the people of Israel and what they're putting their hands to in rebuilding the temple is happening. If the current generation doesn't humble themselves and really turn from their apathy and get over their disappointment and get back to the work, whatever they build with their hands The temple will be impure as well because they don't have their priorities set in the right direction. You can't tell me that God doesn't know our lives are filled with dominoes. One area, you say, well, that's not that big of an area. One area, Can affect so much more. And that's what Haggai is driving home with them. With these priests. So his challenge is not only that they truly repent from what they're doing. Stop doing this and start doing that. But to be faithful to the covenant of God's promise. And when they do so, God is going to bless them. Now, this might sound like a prosperity message, but I'm telling you, if you're lacking the blessing of God that you've been expecting in your life, then inspect your life and see if you're obeying Him in every area. Somebody ought to write that down. That's quotable. For real. Haggai's telling them, In a sense, Israel's future is in their hands. And if they don't stop beautifying their houses and they don't get back to the work God called them to, something bad, something worse can happen. Here's the deal. God plays the long game. I don't know how many of you have ever played a round of golf. But he's worried, not worried, but he's concerned with the things in the future. And what he's been doing since the days of Adam and Eve, even regardless of Christ's death and resurrection, God's been waiting and he's been waiting for you. Even after we come to salvation, even after we've been filled with the Spirit, even after we jump into service in the kingdom of God with the family of God, God still waits for you to give every part of yourself to him. He's playing the long game and he's waiting for his people to be faithful. So the choice that Haggai is laying before this generation of people, it's similar to the challenge that Moses gave those who were exiting from Egypt, the wilderness generation, before they went into the promised land. And here's what it is in a nutshell. Your obedience leads to blessing and your faithlessness leads to ruin. Think about that. Your obedience leads. Leads to blessing. If you've got kids or grandkids or had, then you know, this is true. When they're obedient, man, all they have to do is just tug on my pocket and say, daddy, can I have $10? Sure, baby, whatever you need. When they're disobedient, let me tell you what. I will go out of my way to make sure that their life is miserable. You say, well, that's not a good. Well, listen, I'm a human just like you are the character of God is a father and he loves your obedience. He loves it when you obey and you get involved. He loves when you give of your time, your talent, your finance, even he loves when you serve. He loves to see your obedience and he blesses that every step of the way. The short two chapter book ends with Haggai speaking of the future hope of God's kingdom and God basically communicates there's going to be a new Jerusalem at the center of this international kingdom. And from there, he's going to defeat evil. He's going to destroy the works of the devil. He's going to do all of these things. He even reminds the people of the defeat of Pharaoh's army and the Exodus story. God will continue to see his word fulfilled. I want you to hear me today. And I don't say this with any sort of angst. I say it as a measure of truth for you to understand and for me to understand. God's will will proceed with or without you. So why not let it be with you? And then I think of the words that were spoken to those Israelites years and years before. And to Joshua, the son of Nun, as he led after Moses. Choose this day who you'll serve. Choose every day who you'll serve. So God's word is clear. In fact, he even says in this two chapter little segment, he says that he's gonna fulfill his promise to David and establish the king from his line. In Haggai's day, this was represented by that man with the funny name Zerubbabel. And if you do just a little bit of searching, In fact, later on today or sometime this week, read the end of chapter 2. We don't have time to go into it today, but there's a a moment of clear uh, prophecy towards the man named Zerubbabel. In fact, if you read Matthew chapter 1, this man, Zerubbabel, shows up in the lineage of Jesus Christ because he obeyed. His obedience, I want you to hear me, church his obedience so rubabel's obedience to god it led to your spiritual blessing thousands of years later him obeying god led to that so what a legacy to have left a man or a woman that has obeyed the lord so haggai says the choice is yours And I say to you today, celebrate church. The choice is yours. We need to renew our understanding of what happened back then. But we've got to understand what is happening right now. That by the spirit of God, he's asking you to make a choice. Not just today in this message, but in every day. To make a choice to prioritize him, to be faithful to him. So do you want to experience the fulfillment of God's promises? If so, then you've got to accept the challenge of continuing to head in the right direction despite the disappointing circumstance. There's a few things, a few questions that I want you to consider today. The first is this, and I I really I would love to take just a few moments of reflection, but I want you to think about these. The first question for you and for me, am I prioritizing my own comfort and my needs being met over God's desires? You say, well, pastor, I serve and yeah, we tithe and that kind of thing. So like, I don't really think so. Evaluate your heart with the work of the flashlight. That comes from the Holy Spirit. Because I can promise you, he still speaks today. And he wants to speak to you. He wants to put his finger on that one place that he hasn't been yet able to deal with or given permission and access to. The second question to consider as we look through Haggai and the details of what happened there Am I living with hope or am I being persuaded by the disappointing circumstances? This, this hits home for me. I've got to dive and dig deeper into my knowledge of who God is and his behavior in every generation before me to be able to be confidently walking forward in the midst of the circumstances that we face as a nation and as a world today. COVID's changed things. There are less people in the room and more people online. There are many churches that don't even look as healthy and strong as we are currently. There's a lot that could disappoint this man and sometimes does. I'll be honest with you. So my question for myself when I read through the book of Haggai is, God, stir up hope inside of me. Help me to see hope for the future. Help me to know that you're not done yet and that it's still time to rebuild. Amen? The third question is this, am I fully invested in God's kingdom? Am I serving as I know he wants me to? Am I giving as I know he wants me to and giving as I should? Am I praying as I should? Am I living holy as I should? Am I fully invested in God's kingdom? And then the fourth question is, am I living in obedience despite how i feel or what the situation looks like obedience <laughs> uh, obedience is not a feeling can you listen to me just one more moment obedience is not a feeling it's an action that doesn't have to be based on a feeling It's an action that's a choice regardless of whether I want to or not, whether I feel like it or not. I do it. And this is what God calls us to do. Am I living in obedience to him and to his word despite how I feel? This message strikes a chord with your pastor. Because I remember leaving this building almost nine years ago. When we first toured it. And we started to drive out of the broken in shambles parking lot that was out there. My wife was in tears. Knowing that there was so much work to be done. And that it looked like it was in disrepair. God did a new thing. He blessed us beyond compare. And we've benefited from that. He performed miracles but that was then and this is now and there's still rebuilding to do. And I'm not just talking about the ugly carpet. You say, Pastor, I'm so tired of you hearing about it. OK, great. Well, help me get a box cutter and let's cut it out and let's just get it out of here and then see what the Lord will do. No, but listen to me. That's not what it's about. This is not your pastor telling you, yes, the two things on my list. If you're like, hey, I wonder what's in pastor's mind. This carpet that looks like homicides have been committed on it. And that old sign from 1942 that's out by the road. I'd love to get them both done. That's really the only things besides a good deep clean that need to be done. But there's still a spiritual work that needs to be done in you and in me. There's still a rebuilding of ministry post-COVID that has to happen. There are rooms that are not filled in this building but with spider webs at this point. And they looked beautiful and still do. They just need a cleaning. But by God, they need people in them and they need you to be reaching your friends for Christ and to be sharing the hope of the gospel with them so that we can build God's kingdom together. That's the work we're talking about. That's the work, the spiritual work of what happens with the people of God. Amy and I have had great conversations recently with several people in the church about opportunities to do ministry here and now that we can get started and we're developing those things. But by God, by God's help and only his help alone will we be able to do that and with you as well. That's what matters. That's what counts. We haven't yet made the impact that we set out to make. Amen? We haven't yet changed the city of Clinton. We don't have some of the people we wish we still had. We don't have some of the things like new carpet that we wish we did have. Even in the midst of any of those things, there's still work to be done. There's still fellowship to be had. Discipleship to be had. Spiritual growth to be had. There's still work. I want you to hear me today. There's still a work God wants to do in you, but don't be selfish and self-centered. It's not just for you. It's for the benefit of others. You and I both, all of us, God wants to do a work and he's still on the move. So it's time to rebuild. God's not done with us yet at Celebrate Church. I believe that with all of our heart and it's time that we're motivated again to rebuild I want to close with the words from Haggai chapter 2 verse 6 to 9. And honestly, if if you're like me and sometimes it, have you ever heard somebody say a phrase and it kicks off like a song in your head? You know, I have that happen all the time. My wife and I, we sing to each other all the time. She'll say something and I'll be like I did just a few moments ago. Just the two of us. It's just the way my brain works. I don't know if yours works like that. What I'm about to read to you kicks off the thought of Jesus' words that happen in the New Testament. That basically tell us that if we prioritize God's kingdom, all these other things will be added unto you. Listen to what Haggai the prophet says in chapter 2, verse 6 through 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I'm gonna shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I'll shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I'll fill this house with glory. The silver's mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts in verse nine, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former glory says the Lord of hosts and in this place I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts now I understand he's talking about that house then he's talking about the new Jerusalem in the future but by God I believe by the spirit of the Lord he speaks to us today through his word that the latter glory of the house shall be greater than the former the ministry that we did years ago was wonderful. But there's still ministry to be done in the future because the best is yet to come. We've got to realize the best is yet to come. Would you stand with me today? I want you to evaluate your heart. We've made it our practice. You may think it's stuffy or stodgy to, you know, maybe liturgical even, to have a repeated prayer every Sunday. But I'm going to tell you Asking the Holy Spirit To speak to you Is a prayer that never gets old So would you close your eyes And bow your heads with me And would you just simply Even if you don't speak the words out loud But I'd love to hear your voice And just with an open mind And an open heart Say Holy Spirit What are you saying to me? given you some clues in the direction that i feel god would want you to be considering like am i prioritizing his kingdom am i fully invested in his kingdom am i living in obedience heartfelt obedience holy spirit what are you saying to me place where the people of God have joined for years and generations. I pray, oh God, that you would help us. Help us today to reorganize our priorities. Help us to be filled with hope for the future and help us to be willing to get our hands dirty again keep our eyes focused on you because it's time to continue rebuilding. God, would you bless in your grace and mercy? Celebrate church and everyone who calls this place home. Would you help us on this journey? In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. As the worship team leads us in these last song or two, I encourage you step out of your seat, kneel where you are. If you'd like prayer, I'm going to be up here. I would love to pray for you. If you need healing in your body, you say it doesn't apply to the message. I would love the opportunity to pray for you. We'll socially distance as the case is, and we'll pray that God will do an amazing thing in your life, but don't just run out today and go on without letting the Holy Spirit continue to do the work He wants to in your heart. The promise still stands Great is your faithfulness Your faithfulness I'm still in your hands This is my